When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to the preview of Partially Examined Life, episode 263, part 2. A groundbreaking episode, the first one without Wes or myself on it. But I've listened to it multiple times, and it's good. This preview comes right from the beginning of part two and features Jeff Black, the first voice you'll hear here from that Combat and Classics podcast, which you should check out, as well as Michael Grenke, who wrote the foreword to the book there discussing Lee Van Boxel's War Speak, which, to remind you, is largely a commentary on Friedrich Nietzsche's Genealogy of Morals. So I took Seth's question to be something like, uh, given the prominent role that the contribution of women, and especially seducer women, excellent women, makes in chapter six, why is it that it seems like that contribution is not as strong in chapter seven? And there's a place to look, I think, just to see what Lee says about the contribution. And I think it's a good example of how compressed this book is and how interesting it gets, I think, when you unfold it a little bit. So if you have a look on page 186, there's a a long paragraph that begins, begin with woman. And about halfway through, Lise writes this, by elucidating and celebrating generation, Nietzsche aims to return the feminine principle of becoming to its rightful role in a fecund, agonistic relationship with the masculine principle of being. Although he is relatively silent about the woman, therefore, The feminine principle permeates his philosophy because he incorporates the feminine. It is the very air that elevates the airborne psyche and in which this spirit articulates its movements. And I find that last sentence especially cryptic and begging for interpretation. But it seems to me that there are at least two or three things going on in that claim. The first is that Nietzsche thinks there should be an agonistic relationship between male and female. Second, that he thinks that in the case of this new type that's being described in chapter seven, that agonistic relationship is internal and it's somehow between being and becoming. Third, maybe that what's being contributed is some kind of skill in seducing. Seduction is necessary. And fourth, the airborne character of this new human type. It's not succumbing to the spirit of gravity or to the theological prejudice, somehow has to do with the interplay between male and female in it, right? So I'd be open to kind of looking into any of those four things that I think I see being said in this section, and there might even be more. You put your finger right on it. So a thousand things to say about this. Start with, in chapter seven, the final chapter, I think this is the only place that she actually returns to the theme of woman and mentions it, and the rest of the exposition is around the other personalities and things like that. So again, make this into a chapter, and I would have imagined that's how the book would have ended. Second, agonistic. So I think there's a critical, this is deep and longstanding with me, but I think it's borne out by a variety of... So if you have a concept of opposing principles yin and yang, good and evil, whatever, in order for there to be any movement, 
for them not to just be static side by side. There has to be some kind of, you can call it a relationship, but I think a better word is tension. So paradigmatically for me, I think of the Greek conception of eros. So you have earth is mother, you have sky is father, but it requires a third thing namely erotic love or some sort of tension to create movement between the two, to create interaction between the two. There's The relationship might exist, but it's static. It doesn't move without some kind of prompting. So the interpretation of the word agonistic for me here is more like what we say in the business world these days. It's like, well, we need some creative friction, right? Or creative tension between our groups. I don't want you to agree on everything, but you know, the fact that you're not agreeing is what helps us get things done and move forward. And so I think you're absolutely right that Nietzsche's talking about as soon as you move away from the adherence to a single static principle that supports the ascetic ideal, it's almost like moving from monotheism to polytheism, where you're not just saying, I'm going to propose an alternative principle that's going to supplant this. No, what you're proposing is a new structure where principles stand in relationship to each other and there's a tension and exchange and a back and forth because you need that dynamic energy in order for things to change and grow and become. And so it's really about a paradigm shift, not simply supplanting because otherwise we'd just be, you know, we have God, we have truth, we have some other notion and we'd just be supplanting it with something else. And that's not what's going to ultimately overcome. I would just want to follow up on that, Seth, just it seems to me the principle that's being associated with the masculine principle of being can't be that notion of being that belongs to this other world that belongs to the ascetic ideal, right? It has to be something that can engage in a reciprocal relationship with the principle of becoming. And so in a way, I mean, from the broader philosophic perspective, I would say this notion of the masculine tendency toward being is an aspect of becoming, that is becoming in order to be what it is, really can't have being within it. But in order to have some kind of articulation and some kind of dynamism, that is parts that can work against each other, things that can produce tensions and imbalances and disequilibriums, there have to be opposing tendencies within. But the tendencies can't be wholly different in kind and still have effects on one another. So they are in kind, not different, but in tendency different. This part is really awesome, right? Because we're getting to a real center here because we're having to revise what is often talked about as a diametric opposition between being and becoming. And what Michael just clarified was being has to be of such a thing that it can be becoming. And becoming has to have in it some being that is doing the becoming. And it's complicated to say in part because we're avoiding this overly simplistic dichotomy in which we have to say, well, there are things that are becoming, so I'm going to focus on those things. The, the beings, they must be doing something, right? And therefore, becoming really is a secondary concept, you know, because you're going to become what you are. So therefore, that what you are is that end point. And the way Michael was reminding us is that that's not quite right. We're, we, we have to understand being in a new way while we're understanding becoming in this way. Absolutely. Michael, you're kind of like the guru who descends from the mountaintop to just drop a nugget <laughs> of wisdom there, but um, <laughs> it spurs the previous conversation. You're right. It's not being in the sense that we think of like substance, like substance ontology or some sort of, it's really something more like persistence. There's becoming and there's persistence. 
and there's things that have duration over time and then go away and, and change and evolve. And it's the balance between change and not change, right? It's Heraclitus and Parmenides. But the point that Dylan makes is it's not about the prioritization of one or the other. It's about the relationship and the interaction, the dynamic interaction of the two, the tension between the two. And to understand human beings as a tableau on which this tension is being played out is to just completely reconceptualize and then to understand what it would mean to be a good human being as a dynamic tension between being and becoming. What would that mean for our values? What would that mean for our aspirations? What would that mean for our hopes? What would that mean for teleology? Yeah, that way of formulating it is very helpful because the second piece of the puzzle I was thinking of introducing kind of dovetails nicely with the question of the human application of becoming. I think one of the things that women contribute to this picture at the end of the book is a reinterpretation of what illness is. So Elise makes the argument following Nietzsche that illness is generally interpreted as evidence in favor of the ascetic ideal. So if I'm feeling bad for a variety of reasons, maybe I think it's because of guilt or bad conscience, but it's because I'm not living up to this standard that resides in the other world. But women have an experience of an illness that has a different interpretation, right? Which is pregnancy. There is a, a temporary weakening of the organism for the sake of producing. And that for the sake of is interesting. We could talk about that teleology, but for the sake of producing another being, right? Something more. And the incorporation of the feminine, I think, promises that the experience of becoming understood as a kind of cycling between illness and health could be interpreted not as a flaw in the human being, a sign that it's not living up to some standard from another world, but as what the human being's vitality looks like, right? And so that's another kind of promising contribution from the feminine as such that I think Nietzsche is thinking of. Great point. It's actually one of the tremendous failings of male philosophers and male thinkers that we talk about the feminine as a principle and we talk about it. And in general, we do a great disservice to just the fact that women can create and nurture life. Like if you want to talk about creators and generators and creative, the bottom line is men can't carry babies and static beings can't give birth to anything. Concepts can't give birth to anything. It's the generative concept itself. Obviously, it's not autochthony. Women also can't spontaneously just give birth as, as they wish. They require, they require a partner. But it's almost as though what Nietzsche's, at least in Lise's characterization, is that Nietzsche is trying to ultimately embody a certain kind of insight from the reality of you know, our biological existence into this... I don't want to say metaphysical plane because we don't want to use the term metaphysics because we're not talking about transcendence, but how could we take a generative genealogical look at ourselves and the way that we actually interact with each other, the way that we self-overcome, that we become, that we put words into our own mind and on paper and change other people and then create a value system out of that, a value system that would not be nihilistic, that would not be the war of all against all certainly not that. But what would that value system look like without reference to a transcendental principle? It's beautiful. Part of it, like in the end of the book, right, is, is noting that part of the terrifying conclusion, right, is that there is no ultimate ideal to oppose to the ascetic ideal. That's at some level the, the root of the nihilism. You're not going to come up with a super ideal, a super transcendent ideal that's going to finally be the answer 
that does the transcendence. But there is something about transcendence going on. One of the places that I'm thinking of is this transcendence that's embodied. There's an embodiment that is going along with this discussion about woman. And part of what I take her to be pointing out is the way in which we are embodied selves and woman has a arguably closer relationship with that embodied self, for instance, in the case of giving birth. And that takes her in part, which this is another aspect I would was craving more discussion of, is comedy, right? So comedy is being, I was reading it as the kind of transcendence <laughs> that allows maybe being a little fast and loose with transcendence. I'm taking it as a kind of embodied distance so that you are embodied in the world, but you maintain a kind of distance, right? So I end up thinking of comedy. I end up thinking of irony. I end up thinking of all those ways in which you can talk about, and maybe becomings in there too, the way in which you are something, but you are transforming. If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminelife.com slash support and sign up for membership either on our site or on patreon.com slash partiallyexaminelife. Thanks for listening. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 